Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, to all my beautiful listeners, my my great fans that have been tuning into the show for a while now. Big shout out to all them, all the newcomers. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. We are presented by Alpine Climate Control and Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Big shout outs to them for sponsoring the program. We are going to talk some sports today, obviously. It is the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. We got a little, uh, it's going to be a little baseball heavy because it is the trade deadline as of recording this. It is 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday, August 1st. So the trade deadline, I believe, is at 4 p.m. So, when I'm talking about some people that weren't moved or haven't been moved, it might sound a little bit outdated. Um, but you know what? We're just we're just gonna we're gonna roll with the punches, if you will. You know, we're gonna roll with some of the punches. There was already a trade made um, as I started recording this. Basically, that's going. We're gonna get into a little bit later. That is going to have um, some big repercussions throughout the rest of the American League and probably the rest of the playoff picture in the American League as well. Um, and just in general, some moves that have been made, and a lot of non-moves that have been made as well. Some moves that I expected from teams that haven't moved anything yet, and I expected them to make moves. For example, uh, my Red Sox haven't done anything. I thought the Yankees, I mean, they, for the most part, as it stands right now, haven't really done anything. I thought, I I don't know if I thought they were going to be buyers at this point. I thought they would probably be sellers because I don't know how much better you're going to get at this point, uh, even if you do add some 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 players on their team, um, even with pitching. I mean, their pitching hasn't been great other than Garrett Cole. Outside of him and uh, injuries as well, have, they've struggled with injuries as well. But uh, Judge has been injured, so I don't know. I don't know what. Maybe they just stand pat for this season and then hope that next year, even though that kind of feels like the the Yankees playbook for the last few years has been that way. Um, I, I expected the Dodgers to maybe be a little bit more active uh, in terms of big name people. They've gotten a couple. Uh, a couple people that they, uh, a couple guys that they grabbed onto that weren't, you know, big splashes or anything like that. I think they had a combined uh, war of in the negatives from the people that they've gotten or something like that. So I expected the Dodgers to make a make a make a big splash at some point, but they haven't really done anything. Uh, and a couple other teams, the Rangers have been all over the place. They've bought and left and right here uh, this uh, during the trade deadline and the trade season. So they are you know, uh, actively pursuing a World Series ring at this point, seeing how good their offense is and hoping to bolster up their their pitching a little bit since they went and got Max Scherzer. They got to roll this Chapman towards uh, the beginning of July, I believe it was the beginning of July. So they're actively looking to chase that World Series ring with the offense that they have. So I'm not, uh, maybe not, I'm a little bit surprised at how uh, aggressive they got, I guess, is, is probably the best way to put it. Um but we'll get into more of that here in just a little bit. We'll talk some more names. Uh, that's not the first topic I want to start off today with. Uh, I do want to talk about the fact we've had a lot of alien talk. Okay, and this is going to get back to sports. Okay, I promise you we're not going to go on a spiel about aliens. Uh, there has been a lot of alien talk. Uh, we've had congressional hearings about aliens over the past few, what, a week, week and a half or something like that. But what th- the thing is, what I don't think they realize those congressional, those congressmen, the people in the congressional ladders, the people listening to all that stuff. The thing I don't think they realize is that we already have a real alien on planet Earth. And his name is Shohei Otani. You like how I brought that around? You think I brought that back? That was pretty good. Uh, Shohei Otani, uh, he's insane. Uh, he's one of the best players, probably the best player that I've ever seen play baseball, to be honest with you, just because, I mean, he's a two-way player. We don't see that. We've never seen that, and especially in the in the way that he is able to perform at the level that he does on both two ways, uh, you know, hitting and pitching, essentially. Uh, he is probably in the midst of the greatest season in baseball history, I would say, um, and it's. I would hope it only gets better. The only part that I think he needs to that needs to get a little bit better is his pitching. If we really want to start talking about the greatest season in the history of baseball, he's gotten a little bit wild with his, with his pitching and stuff like that. But his hitting has been unreal. Uh, he has broken essentially the typical metric we use to calculate how good someone is in baseball, which is wins above replacement. Everybody talks about WAR. He sits at an 8.0 WAR right now, wins above replacement, with which is 2.4 wins higher than the next person on the list, which is Ronald Acuna Jr. And he right now, Ronald Acuna Jr. in the National League, is basically a shoe-in uh, for National League MVP. If you were to look at the sportsbook for American League MVP, I think I saw this the other day, uh, the odds for him, for Shohei Otani to win American League MVP, or is like 
minus 10,000 or something like that. Like it's already the, the, the award has basically already been given out to Shohei Otani. The more interesting one is the national league MVP, even though I think uh, Ronald Acuna jr. Is basically, if he keeps playing at the, at the, at the way he has with the, the, his effectiveness on the base paths and uh, his, his power at the, at the plate as well. Ronald Acuna jr. Is almost going to wrap that up pretty here pretty soon as well in the national league. But Shohei, it's like, you know, it's not even that interesting anymore. It's the, the more interesting conversation is like the Cy Young Award versus the MVP award at this point for uh, the American League in baseball because of how unbelievable Shohei has played this year. Uh, the only problem with wins above replacement that I think is maybe shadowed a little bit more when you look at the grand scheme of careers or, um, you know, year to year results, who has the best season, quote unquote, of all time. If you look at it that way from wins above replacement, this is the only part it really struggles with. Uh, it struggles with time and how to evaluate over, uh, you know, year to year effectiveness throughout time. For example, according to baseball reference, uh, baseball references war wins above replacement. The greatest season of all time. I'll, I'll let you take a couple guesses. Just take a couple guesses. I guarantee you're not going to get it. Uh, it didn't come from Barry Bonds. Didn't come from Pedro Martinez. Didn't come from Roger Clemens. None of those guys. No. It came from Tim Keefe. You know who Tim Keefe is? No. Probably not. Uh, he posted. He was a pitcher in the late 1880s. Uh, he posted a 20.2 Wins above replacement in 1883. Uh, there was a math. The, the thing is, when you look at that, and granted, I'm you know I don't want to take anything away from good old team Tim Keefe. Uh, he did throw. I think he started 60. He was a starting pitcher. He started 68 games in 1883, and he went like 41 and 27. I think was the win loss ratio. Which granted, it's the win loss records were a lot different back then, and just the games in general were a lot a lot different back then. But he had a 20.2. Wins above replacement. Uh, the most that I can think of off the top of my head about who had the most wins above replacement in recent history, I think was Barry Bonds. I think he had 11.9 in 2001, if I remember correctly. Um, but Tim Keefe. Tim Keefe placed a, a higher war by about nine wins above replacement. The difference is, though, obviously, if you're listening to this, wins above replacement and replacement being a replacement-level player on the wins above replacement scale would be a 0.0. But... A replacement-level player back in 1883 was a lot different than the replacement-level player today. A uh, replacement-level player back in 1883 was somebody that worked eight hours a week on a farm and then went and played some baseball on the side. You know, uh, baseball wasn't his main job. It was basically, you know, it was basically a, uh, a thing they did for fun. It was a leisure activity essentially back then. But now. It's, you know, the opposite. They play baseball professionally and they go and work on the farm as the leisure activity. Do you see what I mean? So the replacement level pitcher or player is just a completely different scale in terms of how it's measured during, you know, throughout time, essentially, because replacement level players were not the same thing back in the 1880s as they are today. They were, you know, they were they were chucking corn and stuff for the most part back in the 1880s as a replacement level player. They could go on hit 280 for the New York Metropolitans or the Philadelphia Athletics or whatever in an afternoon and then come back home uh, at night in the next morning, wake up at 5 a.m. and do all their, you know, all their all their farm, farm chores and then go out and play again. Like, it wasn't the main job. Now you got guys in the major leagues that are, you know, going 60 hours a week just working on their swing or something like that or 60 hours a week in the video room or something. It's just, and those are replacement level players. It's just a completely different conversation that we're having. So... It's the only problem that I have with Windsor Above Replacement as monitoring it in terms of Shohei's level. He's only he's got an eight war right now, eight wins above replacement right now on uh, and it's way ahead of basically everybody else in all of Major League Baseball. But when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it kind of gets muddled because you got a got a lot of guys from the 1880s, the 1890s, the early 1900s, and stuff like that. Um, who are going to be in front of him in the wins above replacement category, even though the season's not over. So you know Shohei could still finish the season with a 12 plus wins above replacement at this point. And I wouldn't be shocked to be honest with you, especially if his pitching gets a little bit better, would not be stunned by that at all. So taking a look at some of the statistical categories from Shohei, especially at the plate, he's been unbelievable. This is probably his career year at the plate so far. He uh, is eighth in batting average as it stands right now, fifth in on base percentage, leads the league in slugging by about 90 points and leads in OPS by nearly a hundred points, leads the league in home runs, third in RBIs and fourth in, 
in uh, total runs overall. He's been absolutely unbelievable. There was some chatter once he got to about 30 home runs or something like that on the season that like Aaron, Ju- Aaron Judge, who just broke the American League home run record in a single season, there was some actual thought that Shohei Otani would break that record a year after Aaron Judge had done it. And it's still possible, but it's a little bit, I mean, he'd have to go on a crazy tear to try to catch Aaron Judge at that point. Um, but still, I mean, uh, all those statistical categories. Again, eighth in batting average, fifth on on-base percentage, leads the league in slugging by about 90 points, and leads in OPS by nearly 100 points. And he leads the league in home runs, third in RBIs, and fourth in runs. He could get, legitimately, he could really push for a triple crown if he wanted to as well. He's eighth in batting average, which triple crown, if you don't know, batting average, home runs, RBIs. If you lead in all those, you win the triple crown. The last person to do it was uh, Miguel Cabrera back in 2013, I want to say, something like that, 2012, 2013. Uh, and before him, it was Ted Williams back in the in the the, the 50s, essentially. Um, so Shohei could push for a triple crown. I don't think he's going to get to the triple crown because he's eighth in batting average, but he's way behind. Like the leader is uh, Luis Arise, who is hitting about a 380 right now or something like that, and Shohei is hitting about 305. So he, uh, he, I don't think he's going to catch the Triple Crown, but the fact that he's even pushing for it is unbelievable, given the fact that he's also a pitcher on the mound as well. It's unbelievable. So his offensive output has been uh, the best in his career so far, and he's also been a solid pitcher as a, a solid pitcher as well. His pitching has not been the best in his career, but he's been solid at on the mound as well. He's ninth in the league in WHIP, first in hits per nine uh, allowed, and allows the lowest batting average in the league out of any pitcher in the league. Fourth in strikeouts per nine and fourth in total strikeouts. Uh, he's been a little bit more wild this year than he has been in the past. Uh, he's got the tenth most walks in the league, third most hit by pitches, and leads the league in wild pitches because of that. His um, his FIP is a little bit higher than it has been in the last few years. So his pitching, if it were to improve just a little bit more, I think we could genuinely talk about the greatest season we've ever. I think we can genuinely talk about it now, just because we've never seen anything at the effectiveness that he is. He's genuinely a number two starter, I think, in any other team. Probably an ace for a lot of teams. He's an ace for the team that he's playing on right now. Um, but if you were to play, pair him with you know the Yankees or something like that, I still think Garrett Cole is probably the ace on that squad. And but he is you know right up there as a it's a one A one B type of situation if you went to somebody like the Yankees. Um, but for most of the teams in the league, he's a bona fide ace, going to be the number one starter uh, basically year in year out uh, for most of the teams in the league. But you know there's a couple teams that I think they would slot him at the two spot in, ter- in terms of uh, starting rotation. But regardless, if he improves. His uh, his wild pitchers and some of the some of the control problems that he struggled with a little bit this year. He could definitely be an ace for essentially every team in the league, Garrett Cole and the Yankees included. Um, so it's just been unbelievable what we've seen from Shohei Otani. He has been the real alien that has landed on planet Earth. Uh, he is doing stuff that I never thought I would see uh, in the time that I have been alive in professional uh, in uh, watching professional baseball. I never thought we'd see a two-way player. Nonetheless, a two-way player that's very good at it. You know, we've seen Madison Bumgarner, Zach Greinke, Clayton Kershaw. They're all relatively decent hitters at the plate as pitchers, but nothing, nothing, nothing close to the level that we're seeing Shohei, who is an unbelievable hitter, the best DH in the game right now, arguably the best hitter in the game right now, just bona fide the best hitter in the game right now, also throwing out a number two starter type of numbers, which is, it's unbelievable we're seeing from Shohei. Some of the most incredible stuff we've ever seen, and the thing that really disappoints me is I think a lot of people, especially people that don't pay attention to baseball that much, um, I think they're not really aware of the seismic thing that we're actually watching it'd be like if Tom Brady in the NFL threw 50 touchdowns in a season which he had done which was one of the greatest offensive seasons we had ever seen in 2007 with him and Randy Moss but then he also was top 10 in the league at tackles as a linebacker like that's the kind of stuff that we're seeing from Shohei Otani he's one of the most incredible athletes that we've ever seen play sports in general um and I think the greatest season that I've ever seen any baseball player have uh was probably I mean, not even probably. He was Barry Bonds in 2004, without question. I mean, the guy was getting on. We've talked about Barry Bonds before a little bit on this podcast. But the 2004 season, for anybody that is unaware or unaccustomed to baseball, the and I think if we look back in time, as we get further in time, the more we look back in time for towards Barry Bonds um, in 2004, I think the more it's going to become a myth because the numbers that he put up, and I get it, the steroid stuff, I understand, but at the time, in early 2000s, the late 90s, 
everybody was on steroids. He was just the absolute best at it. That's the thing. That's the big difference, all right? But with that being said, his 2004 season is the most unbelievable collection of stats that you will ever see in the history of uh, baseball, in my opinion. It's not even his 73 home run season, uh, even though, I mean, I think a lot of people will point to that back in 2001 uh, as his best season. But if you look at uh, more of just the ability to get on base uh, in 2004, he had an on-base percentage of 609. 609. He got on base 60% of the time in 2004. That is... We will never, ever, ever, ever see that ever again. He got walked, intentionally walked, 120 times. If you look at some of the on-base percentage leaders of the last, even before Barry Bonds, even uh, if you take away Barry Bonds, like the 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 standard is about 450 on-base percentage for the leader in the league. Uh, the last few years, it was Luis Arise, obviously, this year so far. He's got a 429 407 for Shohei Otani. So 407 for Shohei Otani this year on base percentage. But Barry Bonds in 2004, Barry Bonds in 2004 had a 609. He has almost 200 points higher, 202 points higher than Shohei Otani's on base percentages right now in 2023. If you go back down the list for the last 50 or last 10 years or something from 2013 to 2023, the highest that you'll see out of those 10 years is, I believe, Bryce Harper uh, and Mike Trout. They tied. 460 in 2018 for Mike Trout and 460 in 2015 from Bryce Harper. So they're still a century, essentially 150 uh, points off of the 609 that Barry had in 2004. And then his OPS was, I believe it was uh, something absurd, like a 1422 or something like that. Something abs- absurd, um, uh, some absurd number like that. And that was not the year he hit 73 home runs. He had 45 home runs and 101 RBIs that season. Uh, and he got walked 232 times, which is, it's just mind-numbing. That's the greatest season of baseball that I've ever seen played um, in terms of uh, a batter just having it. And he was 39 at the time, by the way. That that part we can, I mean, steroids, 39 years old, 2004, get walked 232 times and have an average of 362. Like, that's under, uh, fair. We can talk about the steroids there. That's totally understandable. But, I mean, the guy's main key to success was fear. He was unbelievable at it. And, uh... With that tying back to Shohei, I don't think we're going to see that out of Shohei, but the fact that you can tie that in with the ability that he's able to be a a, a number two starter on basically every, or a number one starter on basically every team, a number two starter for some of the best teams in the league is, I mean, we can put this up there with a Barry Bonds type of season, I think. It's just unfair to kind of try to compare the two because one is also pitching at an unbelievable rate as well while putting up uh, unbelievable numbers at the plate as well. So Shohei... If you can, just watch every Shohei at bat just because. I mean, he's unbelievable what he does. If you can, actually, let me put it this way. If you can, watch one of his starts on the mound because he'll throw, he'll go out and throw six innings of three-run ball or something like that and then go two for four at the plate or something with two doubles or something like that. It's 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 unbelievable how good he is at what he does. And um, I think we're seeing one of the greatest seasons in baseball history uh, culminate in Shohei, Shohei Otani's season so far. Beautiful podcast listeners, James here. It is time to hear from another one of our sponsors, Alpine Climate Control. If you're a listener of mine, you know that Alpine Climate Control has been supporting the stuff that I do for a very long time, years now, and they are now officially sponsoring the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast as well. If you're looking for somebody to set up air conditioning systems, air conditioners, that sort of thing, Alpine Climate Control is the people to see. They also have air conditioning tune-ups. A good idea if your AEC is not working properly, if it's not functioning properly, if you're standing in front of it, you're like, this should be a lot colder, and it's not, probably needs a tune-up. So check them out for all your air conditioning needs and AC tune-ups. They also have furnace systems and fireplace inserts. We are slowly approaching the fall months, and it is a good idea to get those things figured out and worked on now than as you enter the fall months. But they're creme de la creme, the cream of their crop, their specialty is their outdoor living spaces. They've got seating, fire pits, lighting, barbecue grills. If you're somebody that like, likes a little backyard barbecue, then they are the people to see to set you up. That's Alpine Climate Control. Stop by their showroom. They're on Coffee Avenue just before Sheridan College and a little bit after Starbucks or go online to alpineclimatecontrol.com and you can see all of their offerings there as well. That's alpineclimatecontrol.com. And again, big thank you to Alpine Climate Control for sponsoring the program. Okay, we're going to move on from Shohei here. Uh, Shohei, he just, he enamors me. I love him. He's the best. He's the best in the world right now. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit more about trade deadline. I talked about it a little bit already. I kind of previewed it, if you will, a little bit. 
but Shohei, he's not on the block anymore. A lot of th- a lot of people thought the Angels were going to move on from Shohei during this um, trade deadline season, this trade season, uh, because the Angels weren't looking all that well. Uh, and a lot of people thought that he was going to be moved to the Yankees, going to move move to the Dodgers, that sort of thing. And then uh, about halfway through July or whatever it was, uh, they went and swept the Yankees at home. And then basically right after that, they were like, the Angels were like, no, we're going to keep them. We're going to keep them for the rest of the year. We're going to make a push, which, you know what? Fair enough to the Angels. I don't think they're going to be able to make the playoffs, to be honest with you, unless they really turn stuff around, especially since they've missed uh, Mike Trout for a while. And I don't think he's on a real timetable for a return at the moment. He's been out. He's been out since early July, and uh, I haven't really heard anything about him coming back. Uh, and I'm sure they, they have plans for him to come back in September. They're making moves to try to get them into playoff contention. They just went and got C.J. Crone and Randall Gritchick from the Rockies. They went and got Lucas Giolito from the White Sox as well. So they're at the very least making a push to try to get into the playoffs so that people can see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani at the very least in uh, in some playoff games. That would be that would be fantastic. I'd love to see love to see everybody see Shohei Otani and Mike Trout play in the playoffs. That'd be great. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, so they're making a push, which I respect. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to make it, to be honest with you. And Shohei will almost certainly be gone uh, after that, or gone from the Angels going into next season. And um, I, I would imagine after Shohei, if Shohei leaves, I would imagine Mike Trout is probably not going to be happy, thrilled to be there anymore either. Uh, because, you know, if you see Shohei leave and make the big bucks, obviously, in uh, New York or in L.A. or wherever, um, then I'm sure he's going to be itching to go play for an actual contender as well. So we'll see how much longer Mike Trout stays if Shohei does indeed leave in the offseason as well. We'll see. Um, That's further down the line, though. So speaking of trade deadline, um, there's a couple of deals that have happened so far. It's not as active as I thought it would have been. I thought there were some real uh some real names that were going to be on the move uh, be on the move, some bigger names that were going to be on the move. We had a couple already. Uh, Max Scherzer uh from the Mets, he went to the Rangers. We talked about that already a little bit and just breaking uh as this podcast started to get recorded, as I began recording this podcast was breaking news. Justin Verlander is now going back to the Astros from the Mets as well. So they made a trade there. Houston's getting Justin Verlander back after uh, Verlander left Houston to go to the Mets in the offseason. It's the first time I've ever seen, especially in baseball particularly, that I've ever seen a first-half acquisition from a team. Not a second-half acquisition. We see those all the time from uh, from people whose contracts are expiring or whatever. But the Mets, they went and acquired, they went and got Verlander in free agency, had him for the first half of the season, and then traded him because they're not contenders anymore and they're not going to be contending, it feels like. because Well, definitely because of how good the Braves have been and the Phillies are starting to play a little bit better as well. Um, and the NL East is, I mean, as long as the Braves keep playing like they are playing, then that division is basically over anyway. So, so the Astros go out, they get Verlander back, um, which is good. They need a little starting pitcher, uh, starting pitching help, I think. Luis Garcia, especially since Luis Garcia went down with a torn... Uh, had to get Tommy John surgery, torn UCL, so he is going to be out for the rest of the year. Uh, so that was big. And a couple of the the biggest payroll teams seemingly having to basically sell a lot of their contracts. Well, one of them for sure. The Mets, obviously, they're, they're, they came in with one of the biggest payrolls in the history of baseball, and they're starting to sell off some of those contracts as well. I'm going to be curious to see how many more. They got rid of Canna, Mark Canna as well. Uh, he got traded. I can't remember off the top of my mind who where to, but he got traded as well. Uh, and then also, it'll be interesting to see if they move on from Frankie Lindor as well. Uh, I don't think so. Brandon Nimmo is going to be there uh, for an extended amount of time. They just re-signed him, so I don't think they're going to move on from him just yet. Uh, but Frankie Lindor uh, maybe be on, might be on the move as well. We'll see. I doubt it, but he could be one on the move as well. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's interesting just to see how much of a splash they made in the offseason and because of how poorly it has gone in this first half of the season and a little bit into the second half of the season, uh, they are already sellers. Uh, Canna went to the Brewers. Just saw that as well. So Canna, Mark Canna went to the Brewers and um, the the Mets, man. The Mets. Just goes to show, baseball, it's an interesting game. You cannot buy your World Series championship ring. You know, you could spend all the money in the world, but if the players do not play well on the field, it does not matter which created. You could say that for a lot of sports, obviously. That was a very generic statement, but it's a little bit different for baseball because you you basically lose, you basically fail at that sport if you're hitting anyways on offense. Uh, essentially, 7.5 times out of 10, you're failing at the plate in terms of 
getting a hit uh, in terms of batting average. Now, if you want to talk about on base percentage, you succeed probably three out of ten times that you're at the plate or whatever is what you should succeed to about three out of ten times at the plate. So uh, baseball is just a little bit different. If you, you could buy all the players you want, um, but if they're not performing, especially offensively as well, but also pitching as well, uh, even though they have the big names, they're commanding the big dollars, if you will. Something happens, it's a long season and it can all really come apart. Even though it's a long season, it can come apart pretty quickly, honestly. And that's what we're seeing with the Mets. They they got a first-half acquisition. Never seen that before in baseball. Never seen a first-half acquisition getting Justin Verlander and then trading him uh, a little bit after the All-Star break. A first-half acquisition that they then trade. I never thought I'd see it. I never thought I'd see the day, but the Mets, I mean, they're just doing the thing. They're doing the Mets thing, you know? And I, I don't know. I feel bad for Mets fans, honestly, uh, but I, I don't feel terrible, to be honest with you. They spent a lot of money and then, you know, expected that to be their victory. Uh, but, I mean, look at the Yankees. They've had a uh, highest payroll in, in the last, I mean, the highest payroll in baseball for the last 20 years, it feels like, and not too much to count for, account for it, obviously, in, uh, in the 2000s anyways. Um, but... With that being said, the Mets being one of the highest payroll teams in baseball, there's another one, the Padres, which is in a very interesting situation as well. I don't know what they're going to do. I think they're in a very interesting situation. They have Blake Snell, who has been one of the best starting pitchers in the MLB this year. He's, I think, on his way to win a Cy Young as well in the NL. But they, they currently, the Padres, they currently sit at fourth in the NL West. They're eight and a half games back of the Dodgers, which isn't a whole lot comparatively to like the to the Mets who are in the East. They're 17 and a half back of the Braves. So it's not a whole lot. They honestly are kind of in a middle ground where they could sell and get some really good prospects, especially out of somebody like Blake Snell, who who could go to a a, a team that is leading their division and really um, advance their prospects of trying to win a, a World Series and advance the Padres prospects, actual prospects of their farm system, but I mean, they just haven't been very good at all. The Padres have been very 500 team. Uh, they're six and four in their last 10, 11 and nine, in their last 20 and 15 and 15 in their last 30. So that hasn't necessarily gone to plan. They also got Josh haters coming on for an expiring deal as well. A relief pitcher, closing pitcher. Who's been very good as well. He's going to be uh, one of the great, uh, one of the, the good, one of the best uh, closing pitchers in the league right now. He would go to a really good team. Uh, who could use him as well. They could get some very good prospects out of him as well. And then another one who I think they might be taking a look at as well is somebody like Juan Soto. He's on an expiring deal this upcoming offseason as well. He's going to be a free agent. And I think what happens with Juan Soto will really dictate how they feel about, um, I guess, how they feel about re-signing Juan Soto will really dictate what they're going to be doing at this deadline. I think... If they're confident that they're going, and this is assuming that they think that this season is a lost cause. I mean, I don't think it's, I think they're in a bad spot. I don't think it's entirely a lost cause. They could definitely go on a run. They're only five games back in the wild card uh, with Milwaukee, Miami, Arizona in front of them, Philadelphia and San Francisco as well. Um, So I don't think it's an entirely lost cause, but if they keep playing like they have, obviously there's no shot. I mean, very 500 baseball at this point, and uh, they haven't really turned things around too much recently. Um, but assuming they think this season is a lost cause, then I think that um, if they're confident that they're going to be able to re-sign Ron, Juan Soto in the offseason, if they love where they're at as a front office, then I think they probably deal Blake Snell and Josh Hader, try to get as many good prospects back as possible for both of those guys as um, short-term deals to whoever wants to get them uh, as they try to make a playoff push, the other teams try to make a playoff push. But if they're not confident in the fact that they're going to keep Juan Soto, they think Juan Soto is going to leave in the offseason, go to another team, uh, and play for uh, a different team, then I think they're going to try to keep Blake Snell and Josh Hader and try to re-sign them in the offseason to keep them on their books as well and then find whoever they can in free agency to try to fill out the rest of that roster as well. And there's other team, there's other players as well that they're going to be um, that are going to be leaving that team as well in this upcoming offseason. Uh, in terms of expiring deals in this upcoming offseason, there's plenty of other uh, players on that list, but I think those two uh, the, those two scenarios really determine where they're going to be at this uh, trade deadline and how they're feeling uh, about this trade deadline. So we'll see with the Padres. I really don't know what their plan is. I don't. Uh, I, I don't understand. I mean, I, I understand what they're trying to do. They spent a lot of money and they're trying to justify it at this point, uh, given the fact that they're playing very 500 baseball and kind of um, 
really scraping the back end of the playoff race uh, in the wild card spot. Again, only five back of the NL wild card, but uh, with the teams that are in front of them, that's good. That's going to be a tough climb, and especially how they've been playing this year as well. That's going to be a tough climb. Um, and if other teams around them are making deals, granted, not many teams around them are making deals in the NL West. Like the Dodgers haven't done a whole lot. Like I talked about, the Giants haven't done a whole lot. The Diamondbacks haven't done a whole lot. So it's not like the NL West is getting increasingly better while they're getting increasingly worse or anything like that. But... That team also, with a lot of the power that they have, especially on offense, with that that basically first five in the lineup that they have on offense, they just really haven't exploded yet. They haven't gone on a run or anything like that that would really invoke a lot of confidence for them to make that run in September to try to get into the wild card and make some noise uh, in the playoffs. But uh, we'll see. There's a couple other teams that I'm surprised haven't really made a whole lot of moves. Cincinnati hasn't made a whole lot of moves. They're leading the Central right now, uh, one and a half uh, games in front of the Brewers. I think it's probably because Cincinnati thinks... Uh, that they're way ahead of schedule. Ellie De La Cruz has been a godsend for them, uh, and a couple other players have been really good for them. Spencer Steer, Steer's been really good for them as well, uh, and he just came up with uh, Ellie De La Cruz as well. So I, I think they probably think that they're ahead of schedule, and they're just going to, you know, whatever at this point that they get out of the team that they have right now is just, you know, they're, it's bank. You know, it, it, they're, they're playing with house money at that point. Um, and, and they just got Joey Votto back as well. And, um, you know, I don't think they need to be moving a lot of pieces at this point. If they got more players that are coming up through the farm system as well, they're playing with house money at that at that point with uh, contracts that are going to be cheap that they're going to be able to purchase free agents with if this team is um, as good. I mean, you know, it feels like they're riding a little bit hot. I think they are a little bit ahead of schedule. I don't think they're going to be this good consistently. I don't know if they're going to win the NL Central uh, or, or anything like that. But if they do, you know, I don't expect them to go on necessarily a World Series run or anything like that, but they're definitely definitely ahead of schedule, and I think they have a couple guys that are going to be uh, very good on that team as uh, as we move forward. The Orioles are another one, obviously. They, I, they are ahead of schedule, but they have enough prospects that they could make deals as well. Um, they are, you know, the Adley Rutschman has been very good. Felix Bautista has been very good on the back end. He's been one of the best closing pitchers in the entire league, if not the best closing pitcher in the entire league. Uh, in Felix Batista, Ali Rushman's been very good. Gunnar Henderson just came up, and he's been very good uh, playing at third base. And even with those guys that have come up in Rushman and Henderson, they still have one of the best uh, farm farm systems in the entire uh, in the entire MLB, and they're leading the AL East right now. The stacked AL East is being led by the Baltimore Orioles. They're one and a half games in front of the Tampa Bay Rays. They're sixty five and forty one right now. Uh, they're ahead again. They're ahead of schedule, but they have the prospects that they can deal to get some of the big name players and veterans that will really be a key piece if this team wants to make a run. They could go get, go out and get Blake Snell or somebody like that, or a Juan Soto for a season or something like that. Uh, because they have, you know, at the beginning of the season, Jackson Holiday was the number one ranked prospect in all of baseball, uh, and he was a shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. They also have Colton Cowser, who came in as the twelfth ranked prospect in all of baseball as well. Uh, Heston Heston Kerstad uh, was one of the top ranked pros- prospects as well. He was uh, he plays in the outfield well. Jordan Westberg, an infielder. I mean, they've got a ton ton of assets that they can deal with, or just wait because again. They're way ahead of schedule. They can just wait, have these guys come up, and still be stacked with uh, some very good room to work with in terms of salaries, uh, some very good room to work with to try to make free, free agency splashes. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not paying attention to the Baltimore Orioles, pay attention to the Baltimore Orioles. They are going to be very good for a very long time if they can keep a lot of this court together, like Rutschman, Batista, uh, Henderson. If they keep hold on to Jackson Holiday, he's going to be very good at shortstop. I think they're going to move... Uh, Henderson or Holiday. Henderson, and by the way, Holiday, a the the son of Matt Holiday. If that didn't make you feel old, he is the son of Matt Holiday, and he is playing in Double A ball right now, and is expected to come up and play for the Baltimore Orioles in 2024. Um, but yeah, he he is probably going to play shortstop, and they're going to move Gunnar Henderson, who was typically a shortstop, over to third base and make him play third base. They're going to be very very good for a very long time if they can keep a lot of this uh, a, a lot of this crew together. Um, and so the Orioles. Keep an eye out for them. I don't think they're going to do anything at the deadline, to be honest with you, and uh, as well as the Reds, because I think they're both in the similar boat where they're very much ahead of schedule. Um, so we'll see. The Braves uh, are another team that are leading the division in the East. I don't think they need to do anything. I think they're World Series favorites for a reason. Uh, they're one of the best teams in the league. They're probably the best team in the league uh, by a decent margin. I know that the Baltimore Orioles have the second-best record in the MLB, but it feels like there's a pretty decent gulf between the Atlanta Braves and the Baltimore Orioles right now and a lot of the other good teams 
in the in the American League as well, including Houston Astros, the Texas Rangers, Houston Astros just got Justin Verlander, so that's going to bolster them a little bit. But I still think there's a decent gulf between them and the Atlanta Braves, the Rangers as well. Um, the Rangers are a solid offensive team, one of the best offensive teams in the league, but their starting pitching has been a little shaky, even though they do have Max Scherzer now. They just got him as well, uh, but their starting pitching has been a little bit shaky. They just had to put Nate Valdi on the IL with uh, an injury, so he's going to be gone for a little bit. So, I mean, we'll see, but it feels like the Braves, they were, don't really have to do anything because they're in a very good position, um, and it doesn't feel like they need to adjust anything to continue to be on the run that they're on, they're 67 and 37. They're 11 games in front of the Phillies. Um, they're running away with the NL East. They're probably going to be the one seed heading into the playoffs. They can continue to play like they are. So I don't think they need to do anything. So, uh, and the Dodgers as well. Dodgers is another team that I expected for them to make a really big splash during this trade deadline because I think they see where the Braves are. And I don't think, um, I mean, they shouldn't be confident that they can beat the Braves. Honestly, I think the Braves are a lot better than the Dodgers. Now, granted, it's baseball. It's a funky game. We just saw the Padres knock off the Dodgers, even though the Padres were um, nowhere near as good as the Dodgers uh, heading into the regular season. That was last year when they knocked off the Dodgers in the wild card series. But um, I think they'd lost to the Dodgers. like a, an, They'd lost like a crazy number of series in a row or something like that to the Dodgers that season. Uh, but then, lo and behold, wild card comes around and the Padres beat the Dodgers in the wild card. That's all it takes. Baseball's a funky game. It's a weird game. Brewers as well. Brewers is another. Brewers are another team that they could really jump up if they got somebody and uh, make a run at the Central Division if they wanted to because the Reds, again, they're way ahead of schedule. They're a young team, uh, and the Brewers are a little bit kind of the opposite. It feels like they're almost aging out of their um, window, if you will, to try to make a run at a World Series ring with a lot of the guys that they have on their roster. Um, so they might, might try to make a run at some players and win the Central, maybe try to make a run at a World Series ring that way as well. But uh, we'll see. Uh, the trade deadline is quickly coming to a close. Some of these some of these teams might not do anything. And that's, you know, that's how a lot of it goes. We talk a lot about what's going to happen at the trade deadline and then probably 20% of it happens or something like that. And then we're like, oh, okay, well, that's all right, I guess. Because it's always great to kind of have these these insane insane ideas like the the Shohei Shohatani is going to go to the Boston Red Sox for all of their farm system or something like that that was I was wishing that would happen but you know it's not going to happen that way it's not going to they're, they're not stupid you know the people in the front offices are not stupid you know they're not going to sacrifice their entire future for a single player and that sort of thing the asking prices are all uh usually really high in these scenarios because they know they're trying to um coax out the uh, desperation in a lot of these teams, and that's why we see some um, very one-sided deals happen at this time of year in terms of, uh, from a fan's perspective, one-sided deals. So uh, we'll see what happens with the trade deadline. We'll see where everybody sits at, after the post-trade deadline. Um, it'll be very interesting. And uh, with the playoffs coming around, they're right around the corner. It'll be interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right. A sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program, and it is Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. You got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood, at 307 Real Estate could be your House Hunter-esque real estate agent. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call. Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307-461-7203. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure you contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. Okay, that's our trade deadline talk for baseball. It is quickly coming to an end obviously it's going to be over by the time i post this so i don't even know why i talked about it but you know in hindsight maybe i'll look really smart in hindsight i'll probably look stupid but whatever we're going to move on uh we're going to talk as it quickly approaches it is very very quickly approaches for 
Um, it's going to be fa- quick, here faster than we can even realize it. Uh, college football is on its way. So is the NFL, but college football is quickly approaching as well. The regular season for college football is approaching faster than the NFL, obviously. Uh, there's a preseason game, college, the Hall of Fame game for the NFL is coming up literally this week. I think it's on Thursday, if I remember correctly, uh, which is blows my mind. Um, but college football is coming as well, and I would argue college football is going through a lot more of change right now than the NFL is at this moment in time, I would say, um, other than the ownership change with the Washington Commanders. That's a big change. But, I mean, all of college football is changing entirely, as we know it essentially right now. Um, realignment, college football realignment has gotten truly insane. Uh, it's getting very difficult to keep up with a lot of the moves and where teams are going to end up being by the time 2024 hits. Uh, there will be teams playing next year. This year, it won't be too... You know, it won't be too different. There will be a couple, especially with some of the sub, the non-power five conferences. Some of the some of the teams will be a little bit different in different places. Um, but for the most part, I think a lot of it will be the same. But next year, uh, next year it's going to be way different. Uh, it's going to be wildly different. Uh, the Big Twelve looks way different this year. Um, these are some of the cha- changes this year. They added uh, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. Those are the biggest changes that are happening this year in the Big 12. It will look even more different next year when Oklahoma and Texas, they're going to be leaving for the SEC. And then Colorado is going to leave the Pac-12 and join the, and join the Big 12 again. I don't know why they put numbers behind the, the conferences anymore at this point, to be honest with you, Big 12. It is not 12 teams. Uh, the SEC, granted, they don't have a number behind their team. I don't even know why I brought them up. Uh, the Big 10, that's not 10 teams anymore. Uh, the Pac-12, not 12 teams anymore. I don't know why they do the... I don't get it. I don't know why they do the numbers. They should stop doing the numbers. Uh, just do it like the SEC does it or the ACC. Just do it. That It's PAC. It's the PAC. The Pacific Athletic Conference. There you go. The big. Well, the big doesn't work. But you know what I mean. Uh, something like that. Um, the Big Ten, speaking of the Big Ten, uh, it's going to be bringing in USC and UCLA next season, which that's a massive one. I don't know how they're going to make a lot of those travel arrangements work. That's going to be a big difficulty for... USC and UCLA and then all the other Big Ten schools that got to travel down there for those football games. That is not an easy trip to try and make. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. Uh, The biggest changes will be coming from the Pac-12, obviously, though. That one is going to be... The the Pac-12 might just cease to exist at this point because it has been a complete disaster ever since realignment really started happening. Um, UCLA and USC... Uh, decided they were leaving in from the Big Ten or to the Big Ten from the Pac-12. I believe it was two years ago or a year ago or something like that. Uh, and that basically set off because that's a lot of their market share is those teams, uh, the the Central Los Angeles teams, obviously, uh, and USC and UCLA. Uh, that's a lot of their market cap. A lot of their market share comes from those teams and the the ability to draw in um, other Pac-12 teams with the Los Angeles area and the amount of people that watch. Um, UCLA and USC play football in the greater Los Angeles area as well. So that's a big draw for a lot of those Pac-12 schools. Um, and with them gone, the Pac-12 is really on a selling spree at this point. Um, there seems to be a lot of other teams on their way out. Obviously, rumors of Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah uh, are all on their way out. They're swirling Utah possibly going to the Big 12. Arizona, Arizona State possibly going to the Big 12 as well. Uh, and there's rumors swirling about a couple other teams. I think Washington, Washington State. We're looking at a possible move as well. Um, and it's just been... It's been a mess. It's been a complete mess for the Pac-12. They have handled this about as poorly as you can handle it. And not to mention... Even without the realignment stuff, not to mention for the Pac-12, they don't even have a media rights deal yet for this upcoming season. They have nowhere to broadcast any of their games yet for their football games for this upcoming season. They have no idea where they're going to broadcast them. They don't have a deal with ESPN. They don't have a deal with Fox. These Pac-12 schools, who they're not going to be leaving in the, the next four weeks or whatever. So a lot of these schools, and I think there will be a media rights deal done. Like, I don't think it's going to be, it's going to be for a lot less money than the SEC or the Big 12 or the Big 10 or anything like that. Because uh, they're going to basically have to take whatever deal they can as the kickoff approaches for their first games. Um, but there, I mean, there's not a, there's a, there is a scenario in which like USC and UCLA aren't being broadcast on any networks. They're just not being, they're games that not, aren't being broadcast, which in today's world is mind-boggling because we have teams from, you know, FCS schools that are still getting broadcast and stuff like that. No shame to the FCS schools, but I mean, Pac-12, you know, 
objectively a bigger conference than any than the SES schools or anything like that. And the fact that they still don't have a media rights deal is just insane to me for those upcoming football season. The football season that is literally three, four weeks away to start. They don't have a deal yet to get media rights so that they can film and broadcast those games. Uh, it's it's mind-boggling, and it's not surprising that a lot of those teams and football programs are looking at trying to jump ship at this point because it has been handled so poorly. The uh, Pac-12 was clearly not prepared, uh, even with some of the realignment news that was happening beforehand with Oklahoma and Texas. They really kicked off a lot of this uh, when they said that they were going to be moving to the SEC. And right at that point... Uh, the Pac-12 and the Pac-12's commissioner, who I don't have, whose name I don't have in front of me right at the moment, I apologize, um, should have been looking at, you know, uh, situations where they could have kept a lot of their teams, especially UCLA and USC, because, I mean, I, I don't know how realistic that is, to be honest with you, because the Pac-12, as we know, has been kind of a, I don't want to say a joke, okay? I don't, I don't, it's not a joke, um, but in terms of the other conferences, it's not nearly, it does not bring nearly as much viewership, obviously, because of the time difference for a lot of the schools. It's football, college football especially, is very much an East Coast um, endeavor for a lot of people, Southeast and East uh, East Coast endeavor. And when you're asking them to stay up till basically midnight to watch the USC game or the UCLA game or the Utah game or the Oregon game or something like that, uh, a lot of those people are not going to be up for that. They'll just watch the highlights on Sports Center the next morning or something like that uh, because a lot of those people don't care about the teams that are over on the West Coast and want to stay up till midnight to try to watch those. So it's not necessarily, and USC, again, a team that's going to make a lot of money. Um, even though Pac-12's viewership is not as high as others, even though they're going to be going into the Big Ten and that viewership is going to increase, and not to mention with the media rights deals that they have with each school is going to increase. Um, the Pac-12 was just offering, you know, there's no shot that the Pac-12 is going to be able to offer something uh, similar to what the Big Ten could offer in terms of rights deals and stuff like that, uh, media rights deals, and uh, just in terms of overall competition as well. I mean, you're not going to get Michigan... Ohio State style competition uh, from anyone in the U.S. or in the Pac-12. You'll get it from Oregon sometimes. I would say Washington sometimes. I would say, but Arizona, Arizona State, Arizona State have not been very good. Uh, Utah has been a very good team recently as well. But I mean, again, Ohio State, Michigan—they're their own brands essentially. They can do whatever they want with uh, their brand pretty much by themselves, um, and they won't find that sort of uh, brand anywhere in the Pac-12 other than maybe Oregon. I'll give you Oregon just because of its affinity with uh, with Nike. But other than that, I mean, there's not a lot to it. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with Oregon. I have no idea what they're going to do. But they are also a school that I think has the, uh, again, the affinity uh, around just their school in general to make a leap into a bigger conference, whether it be the Big Ten, uh, the, Big, the Big 12 possibly as well. If Utah goes um, as well into the Big 12, I wouldn't be surprised to see if Oregon goes into the Big 12. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't expect the Pac-12 as we know it right now to be around for very much longer. Um, it's not going to be around for very much longer, but even after UCLA and USC go, I think that's just going to be the beginning. I think the floodgates are going to open, and I think the Pac-12 as we know it today is really going to shrink and even cease, maybe be swallowed up by another uh, another conference and make some sort of super conference, if you will, uh, whether that be the Big 12, which there were rumors of that earlier in the year the Pac-12 being swallowed up by the Big 12, essentially, and making it one big super conference. Um, there were rumors of that swirling because the Pac-12 media rights still was not getting done, and a lot of schools were starting to more or less panic at that point. Um, but I think with more schools opting to leave, I think we'll see that become more of a feasible option for the uh, Pac-12 in general. It's it's very interesting. I I mean... This time next year, I have I really don't know what college football is going to look out uh, look like in terms of what teams are going to be playing where. Essentially, what conferences are even going to look like at that point? Um, how different conferences are going to look like in terms of um, championships, conference championships, and how conference games are are noticed by the playoff committee committee or and, and things like that. I just don't I don't know. Does USC and Ohio, does USC winning over Ohio State have the same draw to it quote unquote is a conference game versus a non-conference game that's stuff they all I mean that all has to be talked about and it's all going to quickly come upon us um, this time next year where it feels like it's all going to change uh, everything is going to look different this time next year uh, for college football and I'm just very interested to see how they I mean I, th I think it's gonna be okay it's not like college football is gonna be going away anytime soon it is the second most 
um, profitable sports uh, you know, league, quote unquote, if you will, in all of America, obviously, because America is football oriented. It is all football all the time, obviously. Uh, and college football is a perfect example of that as well. So I don't think college football is going to end. Uh, you know, it's not going anywhere anytime soon, but it's going to look a lot different than it has in the last 10 years or anything like that. Um, as we quickly approach realignment and uh, NIL and all that stuff as it really uh, begins to gain traction, even more traction than it already has. Um, so we'll see. I, I just think that's a very interesting topic. And just the fact that it's, you know, uh, the panic that must be going through the Pac-12, just the teams in general, the commissioner as well, as they're approaching the first kickoff of week one and they don't have a media rights deal done yet, um, there's a lot of conference games that are going to be happening that could just not be filmed at this point. If they still don't have a media rights deal done by week three or whatever, whenever conference play begins for uh, the Pac-12, they could just not have games on TV, which is mind-blowing to me for for many reasons. Uh, there was also some some um, rumors that they could go directly to streaming. Uh, something like Peacock could pick them up or something like that. Apple TV Plus or something like that could have the Pac-12. Uh, there were rumors of the CW as well, which it's like, wow, if the Pac-12 falls that far, that would be, no offense to the CW, but, I mean, come on, it's, you know, that would be, that would be bottom feeder stuff for the back to if that's what, if that, if that were to happen, um, but yeah, it's all, it's very, uh, it's very interesting, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see, uh, where we are in terms of just college football landscape this time, uh, next year. Okay, that Ladies and gentlemen, is going to wrap up the show today. Uh, I want to thank you all very much for tuning in uh, this week. Uh, we talked a lot of good stuff. Trade line, trade deadline is going to be over by the time this podcast is posted. So I want, I'd be curious to see if I was very smart or very stupid when it came to a lot of the trade deadline stuff that was going on. I guess I didn't really make a whole lot of predictions or anything like that. I guess I kind of just laid down the groundwork for a lot of those teams and where I thought they would be. But you know, whatever. You know, we'll see. We'll see afterwards. Uh, I want to thank you all again very much for tuning in. Big thank you to Alpine Climate Control, Kathleen, Jack and Kathleen Wood, 307 Real Estate as well for sponsoring our program. Uh, make sure you check them out for AC needs at Alpine Climate Control, uh, furnaces, stuff like that, fire heater or uh, uh, fireplaces, and then uh, you know whatever else they got in stock at Alpine Climate Control. Make sure you check them out. AC needs for sure because it is hot out. It is summer, so make sure you check them out. And then real estate needs, maybe check out Jack and Kathleen first for real estate needs, and then you go to Alpine Climate Control for air conditioning if you're looking to put in air conditioning. It'll be a, a one-in-one connection. It'll be easy stuff. Um, big shout out to them for sponsoring. Really appreciate that uh, they've been supportive of this show for a while now. Uh, and Alpine Climate Control has been supporting me for a long time with a lot of the other stuff that I do uh, on the weekends and things like that. So a big shout out to them as well uh, for sponsoring this program as well. Um, remember to please rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it on your podcasting platforms. Please leave those five-star reviews. Greatly appreciate it. Helps out the show a bunch. Um, but for now, I want to thank you very much for tuning in. This has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast, and I have been your host, James Timberlake. James Timberlake.